Our text for this morning is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, and this is God's holy word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Will you pray with me? Father, I would ask you, now as we turn to your word, that you would take it and make it apply. It it applies, but we're so quick to miss it. We're so easily given to wrong thoughts or distracted thoughts. Just focus us and let us hear that which you want us to hear this day and let your word do its holy work in our hearts that our church would better magnify you and that we individuals would honor you with all of our lives. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but unity has been a pretty big theme for us over the past few sermons in Ephesians 4. We saw God call us to develop unifying character traits in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We saw that the church is, in fact, a unity in verses 4 through 6. We saw that we are all given spiritual gifts for the sake of the church in verses 7 and 8. We saw that those gifts that are for the sake of the church come to us because of of Jesus' victorious life, death, and resurrection, verses 9 and 10. And we saw that leaders in the church are given to the church as a gift for the sake of growing the body in verse 11 and the beginning of verse 12. And all of this is tied to the command in 4.1 that you and I would walk worthy of the calling on our lives because of the gospel, that we would walk and live out the unity God intends for his church. So let me ask you this. What do you think of when you think of growing the church? There tend to be one of two responses that come to your mind if I say we want to see the church grow. Some people would think of the church growing as growing in size, right? A few of you thought that way, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing bad with wanting the church to grow. We, in fact, want this church to grow numerically, not because we love numbers, but we do love people. And we want more people to glorify God. We want to see people saved. We want to see more people influenced by faithful biblical teaching. We want to have as much influence in our city as the Lord would allow us to have. So, of course, we want the church to grow numerically. That's fine. 
But there's another type of growth that is deeply important. It's a growth in maturity, in in love, in faithfulness to the Lord. And it's this kind of growth that God has in mind for you and me to consider this morning. God has called us to unity. God has given us gifts in the church. And God intends that you and I use our spiritual gifts to bring about a kind of spiritual growth in the church. And yes, that should result in evangelism and in the addition of new believers to the body, but it will also result in love and faithfulness and maturity inside the body. Now, if you want to be a note-taker this morning, some of you are note-takey type people, I want you to make room for five different points we're going to see as the Lord calls us to be involved in growing the body of Christ. You ready? Point one, work to build up the body of Christ. Work to build up the body of Christ. Look at 11 and 12. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, verse 11, we see that God, out of his kindness, gifted the church with differently gifted leaders. And we talked about that last week. But the list of church leaders you see in verse 11 is actually just the first half of a sentence. Verse 12 tells us why it is God gave the church leaders like pastors. So the question is, why did God give leaders to the church? And the Bible says to you, he did this to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is a vital piece of information for you and me to understand. We know from verse 7, God has given all Christians a spiritual gift. Are you a Christian? Then God gave you a spiritual gift. You've got one. We know from verse 11, God has particularly gifted some people to serve as church leaders. God has given the church pastors, also called elders, also called overseers, right, as a gift. And God has given the church teachers. And and the reason God did this is so that these leaders can equip the saints, the church members, for the work of the ministry. The job of the pastor, my job, Jason's job, Harold's job, is to serve you so that you can do the actual work of ministry. Now that little concept blows many people's ministry paradigm to smithereens. Because far too many people believe themselves to be spectators and consumers when it comes to the life and the ministry of the church. But the Bible here tells you, pay attention to me, Christians, the Bible here tells you that you are the ministers and the elders are to help and equip you to accomplish the work of the ministry. Think about the things that are supposed to be a part of life and ministry. You, church members, are to be caring for one another. 
You, church members, are to be sharing the gospel in the community. You, church members, are to be holding each other accountable for biblical Christian morality. You, church members, are to be about making sure that the Lord is worshipped. You, church members, are to be praying for one another. You, church members, are to be visiting one another at times of need. Now, your pastors are not removed from the responsibility to do ministry. You know why? Because we, too, are church members. I'm a member like you're a church member. I'm not special, believe me. But do not let yourself buy into the lie that the pastors do the ministry work and you come and watch. You know, one of the great errors in the medieval church, the church in the 13, 1400s, let's say, an error that needed to be fixed in the Reformation was the separation of the people from those who were ministering. Back in the days of Martin Luther, do you know that Christians did not even participate in the singing in the services? They watched while the professionals took care of all that. And, you know, I'm grateful we haven't bought into that particular failure. But there are some Christians who do things very similarly when they assume that pastors and elders are the ones that do the spiritual things for the people and the church members have no responsibility in the body but to have spiritual things done on their behalf. Friends, I am not your go-between to God. You know that, right? I'm not the one who does the work and you watch. That doesn't work. Y'all, I'm not good enough at it. And it doesn't fit the will of God. So Christians, you are to do the work of the ministry. You are to take part in the building up of the body of Christ. You are not excused from the responsibility to see to it that the church grows and has the things the Lord wants for it. So whether that means sharing your faith, or helping teach a class, or discipling a younger believer, or learning from an older believer, or coaching a younger couple in marriage, or taking food to a sick family, or giving financially to somebody in need, or helping the worship team by by playing an instrument or singing, or whether that means helping a church member fix their garage door, giving somebody a ride to the doctor, helping people settle a conflict, whatever it might be that God might need us to do to better love him or love one another, you need to own that you have that job to do in this church to build this church up for the glory of God. The elders and I will do everything we can to equip you. We will do all we can to teach you and give you opportunities as best the Lord helps us to see it. But you must own the responsibility to do everything you can to build this church in love and maturity. You with me? So Christian, you've been gifted by God and you are equipped by church leaders to build up the body of Christ. And the question is, toward what are we building? Point number two. Strive for unity in the faith. Strive for unity in the faith. Look at 13. It begins with, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God. God says we build up the body toward unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In simple terms, this is a unity in knowledge of the word of God and the things of God. It is knowing Jesus and knowing his word and we should be united in those things. So what does Paul mean here when he speaks of the faith? Now we know personal faith is how we enter into relationship with the Lord, right? If you have never come to Jesus in faith, you need to do so in order to have the forgiveness of God. Why? Well, you're a sinner just like me. And your only hope for salvation is to believe in Jesus. And when you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus died for your sin, and that Jesus rose from the grave, when you believe that Jesus is willing to forgive you if you'll come to him, when you believe that Jesus and believe when you believe in Jesus in such a way that you rely on Jesus and Jesus alone for your eternity, you are forgiven by God. And if you're forgiven by God, He will change you and help you live to His glory. So I urge you today, right now, in your chair, believe in Jesus. Turn to Him to be saved. Christians, would you say that's what you would like to see people do too? Amen. Now, with that said, that's not the issue of the faith that God's talking about right here. I really just wanted an excuse to remind you of the sweet truth of salvation in Jesus. But right here in verse 13, Paul talks about unity in the faith. And that's a reference not to you and your individual faith, but to the full teaching of the word of God. It is a reference to the gospel and the doctrines God has given us in the word. Jude 3, Jared read for us earlier. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude tells the church, fight for the faith battle for a set of beliefs, a particular set of beliefs delivered by God to the church. Now, contextually, in Ephesians 4, Paul has already called us, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 3, that's a call to one particular unity, a unity in the things taught the church by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Verse 5, Paul reminded us that there is one faith. That's a reference again to the fact that there is only one biblical truth. Y'all, there is only one biblical truth. You might have a lot of different applications of the Bible, but there's only one accurate interpretation of the Bible. And here in verse 13, we're reminded that God has given you your spiritual gift, and God has given you elders in the church so that you will grow into the unity of the faith. You and I are supposed to work together to be sure that we believe the singular truth of the word of God in Jesus Christ. It is the job of elders to work hard and do everything we can to reliably teach you the word of God. We want you to be unified in the faith. And it is your job, dear Christian to make attending services and studies 
and Bible studies in homes a priority so you can be sure that you are learning the faith. Can I soapbox for a moment? Are you here this morning and absolutely worn out because you stayed up late last night goofing off? If you did, did you prepare your heart to learn the Word of God today? You think that through on your own, okay? It is your job to be attentive and ready to learn the ins and outs of the faith. It is your job, older believers. How many of you are older believers? <laughs> A couple of you are like, yes, me. A couple of ladies are going, I am not going to say that. <laughs> it is your job, more mature believers, to disciple younger believers in the basics of the faith. Older believers, who are you helping grow? It is our job together to open the word, to love the word, to submit to the word so as to be unified in the faith. Now with that said, I know we are not all going to reach perfect unity in the faith in this life, right? I would guess, I would guess that we are not all going to agree on eschatology, the study of the last things, until the last things occur. And even then, we might argue about it for a little bit. There are going to be issues where we will, Christians, kindly, graciously disagree with one another. But we must be sure that we are unified in the things that impact our understanding of who God is, what the gospel is, what the church is, and what the commands of the Lord are. And Paul says to us, we are also to grow up into the knowledge of the Son of God. We find unity as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Now, this includes your doctrine of Jesus. No, about, no doubt about it. This is Christology. You need to know who Jesus is. We need to be united in the one faith, the one true doctrine of Jesus. But I would suggest to you that this growing into the knowledge of Jesus also includes your experience of loving and being devoted to Jesus. Christians, as we learn the word together and as we practice spiritual disciplines together, we encourage each other as we love Jesus more. And I fear that if we're not careful, we reformed-minded folks can become enamored with our brains. We love to think new thoughts, don't we? We get fascinated with the obscure. And we can often look down on the simple. God commands us to love Him. We are to love Jesus. You are to know Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your joy. So, as you grow in your doctrinal understanding, and I pray that you are, ask yourself, how can you help yourself and others at PRC love Jesus more? Honestly, 
If your doctrinal knowledge is not making you love Jesus more, your doctrinal knowledge is missing something significant. If your doctrinal fascinations are not helping others around you love Jesus more, there is something missing in your doctrinal fascinations. To know Jesus is to love Jesus and to obey Jesus. And we are to grow in the faith and in that knowing of Jesus that makes us love him. Third point, although I'll give you time to sit and just be convicted by that if you want to. Strive for maturity in the church. Third point, strive for maturity. The end of verse 13 says, to, what are we growing to? Mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We work together with our spiritual gifts until we grow to unity in the faith and in our knowledge of Jesus. We also work together with our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ until we grow to maturity. God has a goal for you and you and I are to lock arms and march forward together to get there. And the picture in these phrases of maturity becoming, it's one of being full grown. We grow to mature manhood. It's the idea of a man getting to full development, full stature. We are to grow to become complete just as the Lord Jesus is perfectly complete. And like the previous point, y'all, this has to do with growing in your knowledge. You're supposed to know the faith. And it has to do with, with Jesus. You are to love the Savior. But it also has to do with your sanctification. We are to become more mature. You are to become less childish. We are to get stronger and more faithful. We are to press on toward the perfection to which God has called us. We are to strive to live and to act and to love and to be more like Jesus. And y'all, again, this is super simple, right? But isn't this the kind of thing that we so often miss when we don't let ourselves think about it? Why are you here today? Why are you here? You are here to obey the Lord, aren't you? You are here to worship. And you might think to yourself, man, there are so many ways I would rather be worshiping than with these knuckleheads. I get it. I don't like listening to me. But you know what? Here we are, united under the word, and you are here to hear and obey the Lord. You are here to worship. You are here to learn. But dear friend, you're here to grow. You are here because there is something God wants you to see or hear or learn or do that makes you more like Jesus than you were yesterday. And you know what? You can be a significantly better person than me, and you can be significantly brighter than me, or significantly more attractive than me, and still, 
still the Lord can use a weak vessel like me to open the word so that you can hear something that the Lord has to challenge you to love him more and grow in greater maturity. Keep the unity theme in mind from earlier and the spiritual gifts theme in mind from earlier and you'll see something else here. You're supposed to grow. You get that, right? We, body, are to grow. We are to grow together by helping each other grow. Christian, you are not an island to yourself. God has called you into the body. God has called you to mature. Trust me when I say to you that you are not the model of maturity who will elevate all around you while you need no growth on your own. You need to grow. And the people here in the church are tools in the hand of God to help you grow. You need to help others grow, and God has you as a tool in his hands to help others grow. And again, I just want to ask you to think about your life. Is your life, your day-to-day, your Sunday-to-Sunday, is your life so shaped so as to learn from others here in the body? Are you present Are you active? Are you focused? Are you getting to know people? Are you learning to be kind to other people even when they have weaknesses? Are you learning to confront people but to do it with kindness? Are you learning to give to those in need? Are you learning to love like Jesus? You have to be intentional if you're going to make this happen. It requires your time. It requires your commitment. It requires that you be open with and real with other people around you. This is what God intends for us to do. Strive for unity and maturity in the church. Still with me? Fourth point then. Guard against false doctrine. Guard against false doctrine. Verse 14 says so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. God has given us gifts. We are to work together in the church to do the ministry. We are to serve, to grow one another in the faith toward maturity And we are to grow so as to protect one another from false destructive doctrine. There's a stack of images here that Paul uses to give you a picture of what false teaching is and how to guard against it, right? We want to grow like we saw last verse. We want to grow to maturity. Now, why do we want to do that? Because we don't want to be children. Now, I'm not saying anything bad against being a child in real life, right? So you children, don't be mad at me, okay? We like children. But children are not as physically strong as grown-ups, right? Children are not as able to protect themselves as our adults, which is good because if they were, they'd kill us. (laughs) Y'all know it's true. Paul shows us We don't want to be tossed about on the waves or blown around on the wind. Picture a little boat 
with no anchor on a stormy sea, right? Up and down and this way and that way. It would not be stable. It would not be safe. You can picture a leaf on a strong wind. It swirls left and then it swirls right. It blows up and down and over and under. It's not grounded. We don't want to be like that in our faith. Now, particularly, Paul is talking about waves and winds of doctrine. There are some people, immature people, who are easily caught up in new teachings. They are blown from this doctrinal group to that doctrinal group, back to this group, over to that group, and we don't want to be like that. Now, wait a minute, though. If you're a member here, you know you go to a church with Reformed in the name. So obviously we could never be caught up in winds and waves of doctrines, right? Right? Yeah, wrong. (laughs) One common danger for Reformed folks is the desire for novel depth. There are several people that I have known who are unsatisfied with the simple truth of the Bible. And they get impressed with internet preachers and bloggers and podcasters and YouTube phenoms. So much so that they cannot hear or respect the simple teaching of Scripture from a local church pastor. They're the kind of people that can't read a simple text and let it simply say what it simply says. Do you know folks like this? Are you tempted to be like this? Instead, these are people that are always looking to find a hidden meaning. Oh, you don't know it, but what this really means is, you ever do that? They're looking for a deeper doctrine that the ordinary believer doesn't know. And before you know it, these folks are declaring things to be true that are far from the plain teaching of the Word of God. Maybe they are reshaping the Trinity. Oh, you didn't really know this, but let me tell you about the Trinity. For, for 2,000 years, people have missed it, but I figured it out. Or maybe it's a novel doctrine on the end times. Maybe this is the kind of person that would tell you, you don't know it, but Jesus sneaked back to the world in AD 70 and nobody saw or, or maybe, maybe these are people that know better than God the roles men and women are to play in the home or in the church. But all of it stems not from faithful study, but from a desire to know what people around them don't know. They want to go beyond the straightforward teaching of the word. And it most certainly happens in Reformed groups. And I'll tell you this, it happens in groups that have a particular emotional or political issue. When you find people that are deeply passionate on some political issue or on something that just really rips their hearts in half, watch out for them to take the word and make the word, quote, back them up on things that they just wish were true. I don't care if you go to a church with Reformed in the name or any other name. You can, get, you can give into this if you don't let yourself be taught by the simple, straightforward, honest teaching of the Word of God. 
I remember one time I used to do this. This is off my notes, so I'm going to try not to get in trouble. One of my favorite illustrations is to ask a room full of Christians, if you read a verse in the Bible that says, Jesus went down to a lake and got into a boat, what does that verse mean? You'd be stunned how many rooms I've asked that question to, and they've said, maybe the lake represents humanity or or the, the evil political system of capitalism or communism, or, and, and, and the boat represents. Y'all, if there's a verse that says Jesus went down to a lake and got into the boat, you know what it means? Jesus went down to a lake and got in a boat. But so many people can't let it say that. You don't understand that in the first century the word boat really meant... Let me give you a simple caution. When you run across a Christian who always looks at Scripture passages and tells you that the ordinary way that that passage has been understood for 2,000 years is somehow mistaken, be careful. When you find a Christian who majors on secondary doctrines to the neglect of the love of the gospel and the love of the Savior and the love of the church, look out. Again, like I said, if their doctrine doesn't make them love Jesus more, their doctrine's messed up. When you find a Christian who is just sure he's got it right and 99% of other Christians have it totally wrong, at least get your guard up. If you see a Christian who somehow thinks that he has multiple mysterious things figured out while his conclusions are different than those of every other faithful Bible teacher you've ever heard of. Take a step back. Yes, God can use people and has used people in the past to reform the church with key, basic, fundamental biblical doctrines have been lost, right? Martin Luther had to challenge the corruptions of the church in the 16th century. But even Luther only pointed the church back to clear doctrines that were understood and taught for centuries before the church turned away from Scripture. We have to be sure we're submitting to the Word and to the doctrine of the Word that has always been clearly present for the church to see and to understand. You're not going to learn a new theology that wasn't present in the Word all along, folks. Paul also warns us against human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Those are all terms for people who would trick you or mislead you. It's funny, that word in the the Bible there talks about human cunning. It's actually a word that means cube. You you say, what? Why would 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 you protect us from cubes? It's a reference to dice. And the idea is people who would cheat you with deceit in a game of chance. And there are all sorts of folks out there. They point you away from the basic doctrines that the church has held to for years and they love to look smart and they love to look spiritual, but they are pointing away from the word and toward something else. Or they twist the word because they pretend to have figured out the deep meaning that other peons have been able to grasp. Christians, guard against false doctrine. And how do you do that? The text has shown us. Grow in the one faith. 
Grow in the true biblical knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Do it together as the body. Don't wander off on your own. Use the gifts that God has given, not just you, but the rest of the body to help you stay on track. And the more that you can do this, you can know the the word, you can love the Lord, and then you can guard against the schemes of people that would try to lead you astray. Fifth point, speak the truth in love to grow. Verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So how do we guard one another against false doctrine? How do we guard against dangerous practices? We speak the truth in love. Please note, we do not only speak truth nor do we only speak in what people think is loving. We speak the truth in love. Christian, know that it is your job to speak the truth to one another. We must point people faithfully to Jesus and to the word of the Lord. We must not trim the truth, shave off corners of the truth just so that we can make people more comfortable. We must not hide from the truth because we want to avoid conflict. No wise patient wants his doctor to pretend, oh, you don't have a disease, you're fine, right? You want the truth so you can deal with a genuine diagnosis. And in the church, we need honesty. We need courageous, word-centered, Christ-exalting honesty. We need that in the church, but we speak it in love. Christians, hear me. You can tell the truth and not be a jerk. Well, some of you can. No, all of us can, right? Would you agree we should be able to tell the truth without being nasty? You can call somebody to repentance without being mean-spirited. You can help a brother or sister grow in the faith without mocking them or putting them down. When we confront each other, whether it's over personal sin or over false doctrine, let's be faithful to be truthful and loving at the same time. Be as gentle as you can. Now, you may have to ratchet up the pressure if somebody refuses to hear the truth or if they, ref- if they show you that they're malicious in their behavior, we got to crank it up a little bit, right? But in your communication, ask yourself, am I being genuinely truthful? And ask yourself, am I communicating as lovingly and graciously as I possibly can? And what will be the result? Again, look at 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul says here, as we speak the truth in love, we grow up together into Christ who is the head. You have a body metaphor here, right? In each of the biggest passages about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, Paul describes the church as a body with Christ as the head and the people of God as the parts of the body. You can see Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 12 besides here in Ephesians 4. And in studying this passage, I've seen, I've seen some funny things, right? You, I've actually read people spend pages 
arguing on the difference between ligaments and muscles in the body of Christ. Not necessary. Missing the point of the passage. Let's let the simple, straightforward teaching work. The analogy works, right? Y'all know Jesus is the Lord over the church, right? As a body is totally dependent on its head for its functioning, the church is reliant on Christ as our head. He's our crown. He's our Lord. But everybody has a variety of parts, right? We got bones and we got muscles and we got ligaments and blood vessels and organs of all shapes and sizes. And every part of your body matters to you, right? Do you need to study medicine to know that you want to keep your body parts if you can? You don't want one of your feet to decide this morning not to function. Never have that happen where your foot decides not to function? Maybe you've sat on it in the wrong way and you stand up and it's like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> you don't want your heart to take a holiday. That's not good. You want your eyes to do what they're supposed to do, don't you? And... How many of you could we talk about the fact that you want the parts of your body that are supposed to bend to actually bend? Yes, right? In this picture, every church member is like a body part. And for PRC or any local church to function as God wants our church to function, we need every one of our body parts working together. Are you a body part? Are you a body part? Are you a body part? We need you. When you don't play your part, you make the church the less. You with me? Don't work as individuals. Work as a unit, as a body, under the lordship of Jesus. Now, I would have given you a new point for these last verses, except for the simple fact that point one is what I've just been telling you. Work to build up the body of Christ. You work. You attend services. You grow. You participate in discipleship activities. You participate in fellowship opportunity. You study. You speak the truth to others. You guard against false doctrine. You love Jesus. You help others love Jesus. You use your spiritual gift. And when it's all happening around us, we all grow together as a body for the glory of Jesus Christ and we grow in love and we grow in unity. So friends, let me say this again. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, I urge you, as I said earlier, come to Jesus and find life and find forgiveness. And then when you do know Jesus, when you do know him, honor him by living as a faithful part of your church. Work to build the body of Christ. Strive for unity in the faith. Strive for maturity in the church. Guard against false doctrine. Speak the truth in love to grow. And you put this together, and you know what you're going to do? You will indeed honor Jesus as you help build the body in unity. Let's pray together. Lord God, there is conviction for us in your word. I pray that we'll get it. 
that will see it. I pray that we will be convicted the way that you want us to be convicted. I pray that we will, that we will repent of sin. I pray that we will grow in hunger for your word. I pray that we will grow in turning away from things that are not the plain, clear, honest, obvious, deep, yes, challenging, yes, but true meaning of Scripture. God, please don't let any of us give in to heart passions that have nothing to do with the intent of your word, but just fit our political pet peeves. And God, you know there's not one political group that does this, but they seem to all do it. Let us submit to the word and let us submit to the gospel and let us submit to a faith that makes us love Jesus and help others love Jesus more. That's our prayer, God. Save souls, grow your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.